welcome to the Motivity State podcast, the space where we dive into mobility, movement, biomechanics, neurology, and much, much more. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Motivity State podcast. Uh, today, our guest is Helen Hall. I will share a couple of uh, sentences about how I know uh, how I know her, and then I'll let her introduce herself, just as we normally do in the beginning of the podcast. So um, I found out about Helen and her work uh, by the Anatomy in Motion um, platform and their forum, um, because she is a running coach. Um, and um, at one point, I decided to run a marathon, and then... Her work came in handy because I read her book, and it helped me quite a lot to uh, to focus. Yes, even with your shoes on, uh, we'll go into that a little bit later. Um, so that book helped me quite a lot, and I had a few chats with uh, with her uh, through the process and before the marathon. And um, I believe that it's very important and and um, to address certain topics uh, that Helen is an expert on. So I'll let her introduce herself, and then I'll start asking the questions. Okay, great. I love the questions bit, and I hate the introduction bit. I never know what to say. I know me. Uh, you said my name already. Um, I do. Uh, I look after runners. I, I help people in pain. I'm sat next to the most advanced gait analysis tech in the world, there are only three machines of its kind in the world. Nike has one. Uh, there's another one in Munich, and I have the third. Uh, so I, I, am, I, I analyze posture and movement. I'm fascinated by movement. Uh, always have been, always will be, always learning. Every day is a learning day uh, with my scanner. She's called Doris. <laughs> so Doris is always looking over my shoulder, being my teacher. So I can be wrong briefly, but I'll only briefly until Doris sets me right, and uh, and then I'm always learning. So I am a learner, a runner, a coach. Um, I have many tools. I'm quite old now. <laughs> I have many tools in my toolbox, and one of them is our mutual love of anatomy, motion, joint mechanics, and how it all knits together. So uh, yeah, that's me. That's Helen Hall. Awesome. Um, all right. I can go a couple of directions from here, but I want to ask you about the beginning. Um, why running? Um, how did you fell in love with running? Was it something natural or did you find it later in life? And after you started running, how did you decide to become a running coach and everything after? Okay, so there was no decisions at any point. <laughs> I didn't sit. The only decision I made uh, was when I was six and I was going to be a meteorological observer in the Navy. Uh, that never happened. Uh, that was my decision. That was my path and I never went there. Uh, I, I wanted, I remember I was less than 11 because I was at junior school and I wasn't allowed to run the mile because we were too young. So I walked the mile very fast, which seemed very inefficient. And, uh, and then I went to senior school and we were allowed to run, but nobody else really wanted to run. So I was 
I wouldn't say solo in the cross-country team, but I, I I was the one that ran around and around and around the school playing fields every lunchtime. And I was, back in the day, uh, my freedom when I was a child was the three and a half, three mile out and back loop down what is called back lane in the village where I lived. And I just started, I, I just ran. I ran because I because I wanted to I just ran it was my I, I was free so long as I was back by a certain time I was allowed out to play and it was my play so I ran and I discovered stuff I discovered that if I moved like this it felt easier if I moved like that it felt less comfortable if I did another thing it would make my breath um, more arduous and so I think for as long as I can remember I have been looking for easier. <laughs> how, how far and how fast can I go most easily? So, uh, so when I'm no sprinter, my husband, uh, he doesn't think, he says that I have not got a fast twitch fiber in my body, hmm. which may well be true, but I can keep going and going and going and going, which is what I do. I'm just back from uh, an ultra multi-stage uh, event where um, it was meant to be a marathon a day, but it ended up being 48 kilometers a day because we kept getting lost and it was, you know, there or thereabouts a marathon um, along the Jurassic coastline, which is like this. But when you know how to use your body really well, the one thing that humans do really well is keep going. We don't necessarily do fast very well, and lots of people get broken when they go fast. But in terms of keeping going, endurance is almost, it, it should say, homo endurance sapien, because mm. that's what we do. Uh, and so my passion is, is doing that keeping going thing as efficiently, as comfortably as possible so that I can enjoy it as much as possible. I don't like pain. <laughs> so 87 miles in the bag, over three days, job done, wonderful. Awesome. That's that's something I probably, I, I, I don't want to say I would never do, but it doesn't seem like something I'm willing to endure <laughs> right now. Uh, but I know that you enjoy those long runs and your body has been um, has been trained over the, the decades to, to operate like this. And I, I recently, uh, I'm trying, or not, not trying, but easily going into into running because it hasn't been my thing per se uh i challenged myself for that marathon i ran run and walked and uh, not only running but run and walk well um, done <gasps> but yeah. this is sorry to interrupt this if i could leave if i could deposit a little uh, gem in the world of running it would be that it's okay to walk people. Why, why aren't people walking? Just to exemplify that, at the end of the last Ironman, where uh, in Ironman, I don't know if everybody knows, but you swim uh, 3.8 kilometers, you then cycle 180 kilometers, then you run a marathon, or you complete a marathon. And there's something called the Ironman shuffle, because everybody's really tired <laughs> by the time they get to the marathon. So people are shuffling along and literally 
they're like this uh, 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 uh. and and I have a strategy of walk run uh, and it may be that I'm I, I'm so tired by this time I'm counting paces but it doesn't matter I am walk running and I'm not known for my speed and I'm often quite close to cutoffs so but it still doesn't matter because I can cover ground walking and running faster than the people who are just running because I am I am not fatiguing so you bring up right at the very beginning for me the essence of the problem these days with run coaching you asked about how I became a run coach I've got no idea but I just did it, and it is people think that they have to run no it's you are powered by your two feet it's just different gears we have uh, slow medium fast paced walking we have slow medium fast paced running it's just another gear so yeah, it makes sense because like oftentimes i guess people are just like competitive like that and in their head i guess it, it, it feels like they're failing if they're not if they're not running so they try to push themselves and oftentimes they're not completing the race just because they get injured as you say because they don't necessarily uh change gears because if you if you only run on on uh, fifth or sixth gear all the time and then or only run on first gear all the time trying to speed up it's not going to work well exactly and you can increase your average pace if you opt into a different gear a slower gear and it and it, and it could so easily be walking because then you take the stress slow jogging is very hard work because you are still off the ground your body is still having to accommodate the impact of the landing so it's still more intense even though i'm walking faster than you jogging the the intensity in my body is less two things no impact or or a good half of the impact and i am releasing the anti-inflammatory um cells the myokines from my uh, muscles whilst I'm walking that you're not releasing whilst you're running. So the sports science has caught up with the what what the ultra distance runners have known probably for a very long time uh, that a, a short walking break returns your energy. So you go you go back to your running. You haven't stopped you haven't stood still you haven't done anything apart from walk you've continued your perpetual forward motion and then you go back to your running and you feel more energized you feel more energetic your pace picks up so walking breaks regular walking breaks can so often improve people's average paces not not make them slower yeah i guess i mean now as you as you put it this way I guess it, it sometimes comes more natural to me to instead of like uh, slow down the pace and do that light jogging, which you you mentioned, it's uh, it's hard work. To me, it does feel like hard work because I, I I'd like to either keep uh, when I'm running keep a uh, a little bit of faster pace because this way my cadence is not like too like heavy when I when I put my foot through the ground and then walking walking seems to feel better. And then as you said. I go and then I'm at the same at the same pace after I take a, a I catch my breath and then my muscles are, are rested and, and so on. So and that's that's a, that's a great point. I actually never thought about this one. So gems from the very beginning. Yeah, uh, it's it's about 
it, it is also about the elastic sling systems, because if you are slowing your running pace down, you are spending more time on the ground. So as you mentioned, you're slowing your cadence down. But that's just not that doesn't just mean it's a slower football. You lose your um, momentum and your energetic recoil of your elastic bands going stretch ping, giving you free energy. You lose that into the ground. So as soon as running is laborious or painful or uncomfortable, walk, but walk briskly so that you are still stretching your slings for the energetic free energy of the recoil and uh, you are also still um, having the less impact um, I wanted to, uh, and the quick footfall. So the brisk walking is still the quick footfall and you're accessing a full range of motion for the, um, the sling systems to be operative on their efficiency, free energy from the recoil um, action. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah, and, and something um, something on walking, I mean, I want to get into that as well, because you, as part of the anatomy in motion uh, community and analyzing gates, um, I'm guessing when the runner comes to you uh, with the knowledge that you already have in your toolbox, you use that as initial assessment because it's a bit harder to to start with, with a running assessment right away. I mean, that's my guess. Um, and since walking is the most natural and uh, has the least impact, to me, it would make much sense that you start there and then running is the next progression because oftentimes people take running as something very natural for human being and beings. And let's say that this is natural, but uh, from us being detached from our natural environment for, for decades now, working in offices and, be, and living a sedentary life, going out and start uh, running as a hobby right away without addressing any deficits or without paying attention to uh, the ranges of motion that your body has and the efficiency of the movement. And I treat this as a skill. So, And that's how I was able to prepare myself for the marathon because I, I, um, I was checking different parts of my body, going through your book, checking my, how my uh, thoracic movement is, what my wrists are doing, like uh, where my muscles are being loaded because I know my deficits. And if muscles were loading where I normally uh, would uh, suggest that they, they aren't because of the deficits, because of the differences in, in my in both sides of my body and I was super happy and uh, but this but but this is just like paying attention and spending the time so I guess um, that's a good advice um, I want to hear your take on it but I guess that's a good advice on runners to slow things down in order to and um, and reassess and 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 take a little bit of time regress in order to progress uh, what, what do you think about that and how do you deal with clients like that because I know the runners, especially the ones uh, I, I work with, they're uh, ultra marathon runners, like trail runners. They go in the woods and they feel free and their endorph endorphins and like happy hormones are kicking in. And when they come in the gym, they're like, I don't feel like counting reps and I don't want to do this. And it, it doesn't feel natural. And I'm like, all right, don't think that this is taking time away. This is actually helping you progress and become better. So how, how, what is your approach uh, with clients like that? And do you actually get clients like that? Because I don't know. Oh, the, the A-type, the driven, uh, the pro, the semi-amateur, the amateur who is uh, driven to the extent that it's not a good workout uh, unless they are um, pushing hard. 
people who uh, just want to lie on a couch and um, uh, and be manipulated into better. Uh, yes, I we are we are, are all on the human the, the spectrum of humanness <laughs> with all of our impatience and runners generally speaking uh, just want to run uh, but of course as runners we all walk uh, there's not a single runner that doesn't also walk um, in their lives so and nobody I work with uh, as ever, I've never, ever met anybody who walks enough for their running. And if you're not walking well, um, or it, I, I shouldn't say well, I should say if you're not walking efficiently, then you may not run efficiently. Now, I have, uh, me and Doris, we've measured plenty of runners who run better than they walk. Their walking action is so awkward that they find fluidity and speed. But now uh, speed hides need, uh, which is one of the, the sayings that goes in the anatomy and motion classroom. Uh, so speed hides need for sure. So they find fluidity in running, but now their feet are off the ground and they're landing on an itsy bitsy bit of a foot, which is then propelling again. So they're landing, controlling and propelling Yes, more fluidly than when they're walking, but now we have intensity added into the mix. So they may run better than they walk, but if they're walking inefficiently, then you're just adding insult to injury, which which then continues the injury cycle. So and I have the benefit of um, bringing people, I, I tend to find, I bring people around to a, more productive way of thinking because of the tech, because of the visuals. So I will measure people standing still, I will measure them walking, and I will measure them running. And of course, at every stage, everything should change. And things that stay the same generally suggest that either they're stuck there or that's the only option that their brain thinks they currently have. And I can point this out with the visuals with objective data and say, look, you see, you're doing this here and here and here and here. And why? Why are you making this shape all the time? Uh, what is in your injury history that leads you to be there? And we need to unravel that little bit there so that then your body doesn't need to make that shape. And then we build you back up again. So through the walking process into the running. And often the running, the, often the walking will take care of itself. Uh, but it seems to me, in my experience, something that just slots into place between uh, an input, uh, a movement input, so uh, a static drill of some description, will slide into place automatically in the walking gait, but doesn't take hold in the running gait. And it seems that the, uh, the, the place where the running motor program, whatever that is, is stored. Yes, they're linked, but they're not, they don't automatically flow from one to the other. And sometimes you need another little input, another little cue to help the person use that space that we now know is there in their walking gait to take into their running gait 
um, to assist the process, um, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it definitely does because like um, uh, working with clients, I, I always tell them that if you go, as you said, and want if they want to be manipulated manually by um, a physician or, or some other medical professional, um, and they they test, retest whatever they do on the table. That doesn't necessarily transfer into like real life movement and walking and gait. And it it also makes sense since like there are differences. They're related, as you said, but there are differences between walking and running uh, because of the way you land your foot on the ground and where you strike and everything else. I mean, uh, and, and the, the time that you actually spend in the air compared to walking. And all those other subtle details. So, as you said, there might be small bridges that the body needs to cross, and uh, need need to, 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 those little tips. Uh, and it's interesting uh, what you said about the, some of the best runner, or some people are better running than than walking. I actually have a few clients. Uh, uh, one of them is a, a triathlete, uh, and a couple of them are uh, uh, trail ultra runner marathons marathoners. So those guys. Whenever we've done drills on single leg in the gym, they're the wobbliest people in the gym. Like we will take like a regular disc disc job worker, and they'll do a lot better than those guys who who sustain and endure so much so much over a, a over a triathlon or a marathon or whatever. And and it's really it's really fascinating and how the body is able to adapt based on the forces that you give. But as you also said. Those people movement and especially um, they call tension and it adapts and it has them going for a while. But once things once things start to break down, I mean, it's like a vicious cycle and starts like one after another after another. So it's like an avalanche of issues. And uh, I see that the hardest thing or the, 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 the biggest problem they have is in their spine. So their spines are super stiff. So they have more like extended spines, less ability to flex because like you need to stay upright and keep going and keep going. So they don't give their bodies like the time to to rest and relax. So that's something out of my observation out of a few clients, but you've worked with more. So you might have the same kind of like uh, experience, I guess. Uh, well, yes, it, it runs the gamut of, you name it, uh, it could be anything. So uh, overly extended spines, too straight spines, inflexible spines, mm. uh, or a big kyphotic flexion in the rib cage. And uh, so this is the roadrunner meep meep where the pelvis is ahead mm. and the rib cage is behind. Uh, so viewed from the side, the head and the, the rib cage and the pelvis aren't more or less stacked, they're, they're off axis. Um, and then of course, so many uh, wonderful uh, running teapots where the pelvis has shifted over um, and they're, they're running uh, with a hip for some reason. Mm. And, uh, and it might not hurt here, it might hurt here. Uh, so we need to and we understanding if it is if it's a, a compression um, problem or a, a tensioning problem locked long or squished. Uh, what is it? Um, I've just finished working with a client who has just uh, one side of her body just always in pain, one side, but the upper body was squished and the lower body was pushed, was pulled tight, pulled open. She was pushing into it. Um, so 
but it was one it, it the root cause we hypothesized was one thing was uh, dental work when she was 11 um, mm. and her jaw has shifted and the solution was nothing to do with the shoulder or the hip the sh solution was with the jaw mm. uh, so you see you see everything um, uh, you see rigid feet and floppy feet and uh, bow legs and knock knees, uh, everything. You name it, you see it. You you see Virgin London Marathon is a great example. 42,000 odd runners start. Let's say 40,000 runners finish. Mm. Everybody looks a little bit different. So everybody is moving in a slightly different way. The thing that is similar is one leg is going in front of the other. Yeah, and uh, and what you what you said about the the the, the differences in, in people. I guess most people who come to you normally pain with, uh, come with uh, and that's a case with the with the, your client with the jaw problem that ended up the, the causing the, all the pains. Um, I'm guessing people when they come to you they come with like either knee problem, ankle problem, lower lower body problems, but. As you go through the assessment, you find out that it's not always the case. I mean, not where the, 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 the solution lies, but somewhere else around the body. So uh, not, Lower body not... and upper body. So lots of runners with shoulder pain. Go figure. Okay. So, okay. Uh, you know, they'll be running along and you'll see them and they'll be rubbing their shoulders because for some reason their, their brain has to have this shoulder uh, close to the head. And the, the shoulder seems to be bossing uh, the head around. And when you understand the anatomy, it, it's easy to see why that might be uh, a problem. An elevated shoulder could well be a running problem uh, on one side of the body. The other side is having a, an easy time of it relatively, and that side is having a harder time of it. Uh, but the it, running, people come, yes, lower leg yes obviously it's common um but shoulders yeah lots and lots of running running shoulder issues and and athletes you know swimmers who are having issues um cyclists who are having issues just people in pain really and then every now and again i'll find somebody somebody will come along and they just want to find efficiency they just want to run with more joy, enjoy it more, with more freedom of motion, more fluid motion. They want to run faster for less effort. <laughs> you think, okay, and that's really my language. Just looking for that efficiency. Where, are, where am I inefficient? Where am I making it harder for myself? How can I make it easier for myself? And then they can go either faster or further or probably both. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting uh, direction that that I want uh, that you're uh, that you're mentioning because uh, um, nowadays um, the the biggest percentage of people who come to to me and my my team are people who especially for the one on one sessions are people who have some sorts of dealing with some sort of pain. It doesn't matter what what kind it is. It, it's not just like uh, people who are uh, recreational um, athletes, but uh, but just like office workers mainly. And um, the the le the least of the people who come uh, are the ones who actually want to improve on their craft. Um, and it's really, for me, it's I mean I'm, I'm I can work both ways, uh, but it's really a different fascination of of 
finding out uh, ways to improve on, on something that's working well already um, without any aches and pains because there are different strategies when you work with pain compared to improving efficiency. It's still biomechanically. I mean, things work like similarly, but neurologically and, and because of the nervous system and the, the chronic pain that they might have suffered or some injury they might have sustained, uh, you might need to take it easy or, or play around a bit in order to find what your body is capable of tolerating at this, at this uh, specific moment. So what is the percentage that of, of clients that you get uh, which uh, actually wants to just improve compared to the ones who come with pain? Oh, uh, so the ones who aren't injured, so they like 99% come in pain. Mm. They, they can't do what they want to do. Uh, they've been told to stop what they want to do, which, of course, is, is not really a solution <laughs> if you actually want to do it. Um, so that, yes, the vast majority uh, want to, unless it's a gift. So sometimes I'm a birthday present or a Christmas present, hmm. which is always so much fun. And the, the, the other half has they love their running so much i'm going to go to this lady with doris um i should put on the website actually that uh, the scanner is called doris mm -hmm. and go see if you can make it easier um so yeah I, I i don't have numbers on it but i would say it's a good 99 percent of people come to me in pain sadly sadly yeah there's a lot, it, it, there's a lot it, it, of pain out there yeah, it is. It is sad because uh, we always talk about pre prevention uh, and and taking care of things while while they're still not so bad or before you actually start experiencing any pain. But I guess it's like in our daily lives, which are super busy and hectic. Uh, it, it only comes it only comes to our mind when it actually the the, the brain sends us some some pain signals. And and then some some people even over overcome that sensation and keep going until things really break, and then for most it takes quite a lot of time to recover, and uh, and, and it's demoralizing I guess for for a lot of people. Uh, but I've I've I don't want to say I've given up, but I don't convince people like I still con to continue talking about prevention and improving on your performance because this way you. Know, you I mean, it, it's not that you can prevent injury. I mean, it, it can always happen, but it, at least it could be to a less extent instead of like uh, a broken ankle. If you if you step sideways, it might be just sprained or something like that. If you train in a smart way over time, because I tell people we don't do stuff uh, isolated in the gym so that we we, we just we just do it. Uh, it, it. It's no fun. We, we do it to become better in whatever activity we want to pursue. Like if you go hiking, if you go running, if you go swimming, I'm not right now. I'm, I'm learning how to swim, so I'm I'm taking the same road in terms of like analyzing what my body's doing in the water and like trying to get better uh, in in this specific skill. And I think this is the for me this made a huge difference. Uh, two things actually. One is actually changing scenery because I I found out that when I was uh, when I'm not running in circles because I have a, a park that's like right next to my apartment. So I go out and run, but it's only two and a half kilometers uh, when you circle around. So it gets boring. So the first thing when I started, when I started running was like tr changing alleys, going through the woods and all those kind of things. But at one point I went through all of them. 
So it, it became boring. But when I went to that that Athens Marathon, um, I thought it would be harder. But then it was super cool because it was not the same place, the same scenery, and people were cheering on the side, and some some people are cheering and supporting, and there were like uh, funny uh, funny characters like dressed up, and then all those sort of things. So it made the the, the experience a lot more um, pleasant. And, and also, the other thing is just uh, um, approaching it and then um, taking care of, of the, the, the bits and pieces and, and just you work it as a skill. And I think if you want to improve on that, on that, that should be your main attitude in the beginning. Uh, how many actually uh, clients of yours are beginners or do you get mostly like advanced people or people who have already been running? I used to, before the tech, I used to get more beginners, but I think that a lot of people think, I get the messages that uh, people think that they, they're not good enough for this kind of analysis. And, and of course, all we're doing is being objective. That's what it is. Instead of it being an opinion, we have data. So it, it's, uh, so it's relevant for all. Um, the... A lot of people will begin uh, by themselves because how difficult can it be, right? Where everybody can run. We we walked. I mentioned in the book that uh, we walk the first steps, great applause. And then before you know it, a uh, new toddler is now trotting around everywhere and nobody's even noticed the transition from the walk to the run. Yeah. So, uh, and the little kids, they buzz around all over the place. So, so yes, running around is is in us it's just normal uh, it's standard and then people i think that the problem people uh, they create a problem because they then call it uh, an activity so nobody considers walking an activity they'll call it hiking well that's that's an activity i'm hiking in furs i'm going off into the hills and great blue yonder and and running means I'm putting on trainers and special kit and I'm doing this thing. Uh, but when we're kids, we run around all over the place. Uh, we just run around. Uh, so it, it, in, our, in this world that we live in, we, we are in it. So there's no, we can't fight against it. We have time for work. Uh, we have downtime in which we might sit and watch TV or we might get out and do whichever sport we want to do. Um, and then it becomes this little microcosm, this little this nugget of time that is put aside for this. So here I run or I cycle or I swim or I go into the gym or I do my gymnastics or whatever or my horse riding or my golf, whatever it might be. So then we go into these movements, which then really and truly they should be skilled. They should be skilled. If we are sitting on our backsides for most of the day, I stand most of the day, so, um, but even if you stand most of the day, do it well, because you take whatever you do the most of all, and then you do your chosen activity with it. You don't morph into this different creature. You are the same being. And I think that whilst we hope to help prevent injury, with better movement, the reality is if we can get across to help people stop bumping into themselves, then 
will go a long way in terms of being the helpful creatures that we want to be as the coaches we are. Yeah, but I think that is more of a mental and psychological game that we need to play with our clients um, than than uh, than the biomechanical movement. Because I tell yes. people that eighty-five to ninety percent is ecology, and everything else is the easier part. Because like you know how things are supposed to work, and exercises are there. It's just like first finding out the reason, and then convincing that person that why the why the things that he needs to do or she needs to do are important uh, in order for improving their either skill or their general well-being and but i think uh as you said uh earlier uh, things get really stuck into into dogmas and into those uh, boxes about you said you you don't you stand you don't sit you know, throughout your day and i'm also like active like in the, in the studio like moving around showing exercises to clients sitting sitting mostly on the floor and, and stuff like that but people are like i i work on a stand up desk so this is good for me or i have a, like the ergonomic chair so this is good for me and i i keep telling those those kind of like people with that mentality that the, the best thing you can do is actually change positions, not just get stuck in one. Because if you have the tendency on, uh, on standing more on one leg while you're standing upright, this is going to still load one side uh, compared to the other. And you cannot be efficient either in the perfect chair or standing. Or That's why I, I normally advise him, have a sitting desk, stand-up desk, and, uh, and, and uh, sit on the floor. So you change positions so you, your body doesn't get to adapt to a certain position and, and start forming uh, comfortable or not comfortable, but preferred shapes, uh, which is then hard to get out of. And another thing about, because you use a lot of tools, another thing I wanted to ask you about, because nowadays gadgets, uh, smartwatches, all sorts of like trackers and whatever tools are available to, to runners and athletes all over. And my notice is that People buy all of those things, but they don't know how to use them just so that they they will just because they label themselves. I'm a runner or I'm a triathlete or this and that. And they start buying the tools, but the tools are not actually serving them in, in a way. Probably the your, your tools are serving you because it, 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 with you, you find a, you find a, a, the, what people problems have and then you, you work on those. Whereas with tools, we try to rely too much on tools and don't listen to to this thing, to the to the biggest tool that we have, our body. So, what's your take on that, and what's your experience with with tools and clients and that mentality? Yeah, so I've uh, assessed many a runner who who runs uh, like this because they're just they run with their wrist at the ready to check the Garmin. Uh, whatever or whatever um, uh, wrist attire that they they choose they've chosen, um, because they become attached to the data. So I love data. Uh, I love collecting data, but I collect it and look at it after, curious as to what um, it's going to say, rather than run to data. So I have a big problem with heart rate monitors, uh, the traditional heart rate monitor around um, uh, the rib cage. Every girl I know uh, has the issue about having um, sports with bras that are tight and the tightness around the rib cage. So 
to voluntarily put another contraption around the rib cage uh, is deeply unpleasant. There are now, so this has a heart rate monitor on the wristwatch, so many of them do now, and there's a new one that comes out here, which um, apparently gives you heart rate. The collection of the data is valuable, but it needs to be married to um, the sense, the perceived effort and the sense within yourself. Uh, I have seen athletes uh, who are trying to qualify for the world championships, uh, triathletes in transition, trying to pair two gadgets together and spending longer than me in transition trying to pair. They've trained so much harder than I've bothered because they're pushing themselves and they've just lost all of that time trying to pair gadgets because they're actually scared to, um, to event, to race without them because they rely on them. So I encourage, uh, if people want to collect data, fantastic, collect the data. Uh, but don't be a slave to it. Be curious as to what it's telling you. Does that elevated heart rate marry with the fact that you didn't sleep well that night, the night before? Or um, you've got quite a bit more stress at work or you've just had a row with your kid or your um, other half. Uh, or you've got some background worries going on or you ate something that didn't really quite sit well. Just marry it to something. It's not just a number by itself. It is only of value if it's in the context of something. So what is this, this data that you've just pushed out in the context of? People talk about a PB. A PB what? So is it, uh, so is it, is it the same distance? Is it the same weather conditions? Is it the same season? Uh, you know, these PBs, people will go to a, a fast race to get a PB marathon, but that, that PB is in the context of that course and with that weather. So it's just the context uh, that I find people are missing. So I encourage noticing the context. I encourage gathering the data, um, but I also um, encourage being free enough and confident enough to work without the data and to occasionally dare to not collect it and just be free. Just move without the data and see how it feels so that you don't rely on it. If you don't have the data being collected, there is suddenly this um, self-reliance on you noticing. It's like being a passenger in a car. If somebody else is driving, you know you're going to get to the destination. Suddenly, if you're driving, you've got to be more aware of what's going on so you don't take a wrong turn. So without the comfort of data collecting gadgets, you then become more self-reliant on uh, how you're feeling, what your body is doing, and you just generally get better at noticing stuff. Because unless you notice stuff, how are you going to change anything? Yeah, it's a great it's a great analogy that you that you did with uh, being a passenger in your own body. Uh, it's it's a great uh, example. And as you said, I keep telling people, especially with the ones who come in with pain, if for example I'll use the lower back, if you're not able to use your lumbar spine or to flex your lumbar spine. Um, your body pretty much doesn't have awareness because there hasn't been much movement down there. So for, for the body, that, that zone, that area is not recognizable. So the more awareness you give it, 
the better it's going to the experience and feedback it's going to have and the feedback it's not from the watch or from the heart rate monitor or, or whatever it's from your own body and i know that um as far as i remember you've probably done it multiple times but i remember one of your stories that you ran a marathon the whole marathon just nasal breathing and you had like diaphragmatic soreness after that um how many people have actually tried doing that and paid attention to their breathing uh, instead of just like using a smartwatch or whatever monitor for their heart. So that's another skill you can improve on and, yeah. uh, and just have to pay attention. Um, and, and going, going to, uh, another topic, which is, um, either pro or against, um, is the barefoot running and barefoot walking and barefoot, barefoot. Uh, bare sh- foot shoes are the the plus or not the placebo, the, but they're the, uh, the the one solution for fixing everything. Uh, the same thing I tell people: you don't don't uh, try try to make better choices for your uh, shoes, but but don't become a slave to to the shoe. Because I keep telling people that have been wearing barefoot shoes for a couple of years now, and they still have issues here and there through their feet. I tell them. Uh, just by wearing the barefoot shoe, you're not gonna fix. Uh, you're not gonna be mobilizing the foot necessarily because because if it needs to move in a certain way and cannot access those ranges, the barefoot shoe is not the solution. So try to teach the foot or whatever the knee the, to coordinate the hip and everything together, and not just the shoe. So what's your take on barefoot shoes? Because uh, I know a lot of people when they transition, um, they read the. Uh, Christopher McDougall or somebody else and uh, they transition right away and they're not ready for it and they get hurt. So I'm guessing you will tell them the same thing I tell them um, to progressively overload, just like with any other discipline, if you train with weights and all those kind of things. But how do you, how do you, uh, how, what's your approach and what's your take on that? Well, of course, I wrote the book even with your shoes on, right? Because I was uh, known as a barefoot runner. Um, and it's not about the shoe. It's just, it's just not about the shoe. So uh, hence the title of the book. Uh, I have the, um, uh, the ice, uh, conversation ice melter of being the first barefoot iron woman uh, Barefoot being an oxymoron because you can't actually run it with bare feet. You have to have something mm. on your feet, but with a barefoot shoe, which is just a silly name. Uh, so I have, uh, I love moving with as little on my feet as possible. My feet are currently uh, bare. They're always bare if they can be. But equally, I don't like uncomfortable feet or painful feet or cold feet. So we, we use a technology that we have created because we're smart and intelligent humans. Uh, and when, so the event that I've just done, day one, I was in uh, Vibrant Five Fingers and uh, it was lush. So the first 45 kilometers was gorgeous. My feet had a massage on a stony beach and it was only the last three kilometers, which was awful, sharp, stony, flinty kind of um rock that was just awful uh and so the next day i was told i was a lot more of that on days two and three so days two and three i switched to um a the sole that i'd found that i could run in for when there's lots and lots of mud and i need a lot of uh grip um so i switched to those and so my feet were fine um the the shoe 
it, uh, you're right. It, it cannot be the solution. The shoe is not the solution. The shoe just needs to be comfortable um, and allow the But as you say, uh, in just the same way that uh, your, if your lumbers don't flex, your brain doesn't really know them because they're not moving. If you're only using one part of your foot, uh, the brain doesn't know the other part of your foot because you never use it. You think you do, and that's the problem. People think that they're using their feet because they can feel themselves on their feet. But then they don't they they come to discover that they're not using all of their foot or they're using more of one part of their foot than another part um, and end up with, for instance, a Morton's neuroma, uh, which then gets chopped out with surgery because uh, we remove it without discovering why you had a Morton's neuroma in the first place. And no wonder these things come back. Um, uh, I know somebody who's. Uh, who, who wore out a titanium hip in three years. Uh, so, you know, we, if you don't address the reason why you needed surgical help in the first place, um, then it, the, the, the way that you're moving is going, is probably going to remain the same or similar, or that, that place is still going to be overburdened. So it's not that uh, shoes are good or bad, and it's not barefoot versus shod. It's about, can you find something that is comfortable? Can you find something that doesn't squish your bones together in any direction? Top to bottom, laces runners, please loosen the laces. I, I, it makes me wince when I see people, they're doing up their laces, they're going and they're pulling on the laces and they're pulling down on the laces and they're just flattening their midfoot because they, they, they tell me that they thought that the shoe need to be held on tight to their foot. And then we have the people who run in shoes that are too short because they want to have smaller looking feet. And then we have uh, people who are in shoes that are too narrow because it looks ugly when they see the, the broader toe boxes and they find it looks ugly. And so it's always... For me, it's lots of conversations about reframing what people's perceptions uh, have become because they perceive, not because it's their perception, it's like received perceptions from everybody else that tells them that big feet are ugly. And I'm thinking, I've got size seven and a half, and which is big for a girl. This is great. I've got mm. plenty of space to land on. Yes. And you want those bones to spread. So let them spread. And you want the laces to be, yes, the shoe needs to hold on, but don't have the laces tight. Be comfortable. Have shoes that you can run in as if they're slippers. So you're not holding on to them, but neither are they gripping you. And uh, uh, Gary Ward has a nice phrase. Um, and he says, don't let the shoe dominate you. And it's not even about you dominating the shoe. You you should be best friends. It should uh, be symbiotic. It should be symbiotic. Yes. It's not like one over another. Yes, it's it's just okay. Which fits best? Which allows your thirty three joints in your feet to move to their best of their ability? Maybe some aren't moving as many much as much as others. Maybe there are a couple of bits of hardware in. Maybe you've broken a few bones. 
I've broken a few bones. I've got hardware, not in my feet. But it doesn't matter. You, it doesn't matter. We've, we've got so much movement possibility in us. But all of these little restrictions, we can find uh, a way to use our body that gives us more without bumping into ourselves the more we notice. So be comfortable. And if you feel that the difference between the front of the shoe and the back of the shoe is verging on a high heel, I suggest don't run in them. If you feel tipped forward in your shoe with more pressure through the forefoot. So again, I get people telling me that they thought it was meant to be like that to encourage forefoot running. And you think, well, OK, I think it was actually for cushioning purposes. Uh, but these are in your body for whatever reason. These are pushing you onto your forefeet. Maybe the inventor, maybe because he touched down with his heel first, that big wadge of cushioning helped him or her to land without uh, a horrible big impact through his heel bone. So if we go back to why they might have been there in the first place and then apply that rationale to us, is, does that, is that working for us? And luckily, there's enough choice out there. If you spend enough time noticing what your feet tell you about your shoes, what your body tells you about your shoes, you can make better decisions for your body and your feet. What's your opinion on, uh, since you're always talking about shoes, uh, when a person wants to run and wants to buy a uh, running shoe, one of the fancy ones, they go to the running store and they normally have the analyze their gait or their running uh, style and, and something like that. And then they, I haven't done it myself, but I, I know because I, I've had clients who come to me like that and told me the story, but, uh, and then they, um, they propose uh, this or that type of shoe with that kind of like insole or arch or support or whatever. And I'm like, what's your take on, uh, I, I guess it, it comes to critical thinking and, and not, not, taking this piece of advice as the one and only. Uh, but what's your advice for people who are actually ad advised by by um, store clerks to to buy this and that shoe? Uh, how, how What should their um, um, choices in that regard be? So anything anti, if it has anti in front of it, I would run away. Uh, so if you're stopping movement, so it's anti-supination, anti-pronation. Okay, well, we, we want it all. Just be greedy. Have it <laughs> all. Please avoid limiting your movement possibilities. So the answer is easy. Avoid anything that says anti, which leaves you with neutral. So, yay, with a neutral shoe, you've got all the possibilities available to you. Is it comfortable? Walk around. When you step out, so lots of people buy online. I encourage you, they make it easy now. Buy several pairs. Walk around inside. The one that when your foot comes out, there's relief, send it back. If your foot comes out of your shoe, you've been wandering around and you actually don't notice a difference, that's the shoe for you. The shoe you notice least of all fits you best of all. 
if you don't limit your movement possibilities, you're maximizing your movement possibilities. And uh, my little passion is just, just, just be careful of a big stack in the heel. Just be careful. Don't go as low as you can. Uh, just don't feel that you need to have it there. So what feels most comfortable? Um, it's a nice point to uh, mention orthotics because many runners come um, having prescribed orthotics, having found relief through orthotics. Uh, but now they're stuck because they can't not have the orthotics. So we, we end up seeing people who have orthotics in their slippers hmm. because they can walk without pain provided the orthotic is there. But that's not really a solution because as soon as if you if you can't walk in your own bare feet in your house into the shower from the bathroom to the bedroom then that's not really a, a full solution in my book and if an orthotic has assisted you in terms of pain relief then i would say give yourself a couple of weeks to figure out why why does that orthotic help you because if you leave it there permanently under your foot moving it from shoe to shoe or just getting a whole spread putting them into each and every shoe whatever you've done to limit movement in a certain place that area will um, die back in the brain the, there'll be no movement there so the brain will become less aware of it uh, it will send less resources to it. So there'll be uh, less blood flow. Obviously, it's not atrophying. So we've got not no blood flow. But we have this time frame. And I use the example of a broken bone to help me get the message across to people with orthotics. And I measure people with and without orthotics on the scanner. Because sometimes we can see why it helps. It blocks a movement that they have too much of and enables another uh, movement plane to, to come out. But the question is, okay, why are you moving too much in that maybe transverse motion? It's blocking some transverse motion. Why? Why are you? We need to deal with that so you don't have to rely on the orthotic all the time. Anyway, I digress. Broken bone. So you, your, uh, you break uh, your forearm, it goes into a cast. Uh, six weeks later, they take the cast off and your arm is withered. Uh, it's all small compared to the other side because the muscles have atrophied, because they haven't been able to move. So they become smaller. We don't wrap the arm up in cotton wool and say, oh, dear me, that's that. Mm. We take the cast off and go, oh, goodness me. Goodness me. Look what's happened. We need to build that back up. We need to use it. And the orthotics, are, they're no different. You put something, you stop the movement of a joint you will have ultimately less tissue because there's no demand for the tissue to be uh, developed and strengthened and replenished with blood and resources. So by all means, uh, embrace the technology of orthotics, uh, but keep it short term whilst you figure out um, what the solution is. Benno Nick, the godfather of orthotics, stood up on stage in front of the audience in January 2016, I think it was, and rescinded all 250 of his scientific papers because they said, 
well, we made a conclusion that actually we didn't really have enough data for. So they can work. Random, 50-50 chance they'll get you out of pain or not, but it doesn't solve the problem. Is this is this what he actually said in that uh, yes, interview yes, conference? Yes, yes, yes. If you, if you have, I think, yeah, you, if you, I think you can Google it. I, I was sent it years ago. Yeah, I will, I'll definitely need to share this uh, with people to people because, like, all like a hundred percent of the cases uh, who come to me who have orthotics, they they don't look for or they haven't they haven't been advised to look for the problem, even if the if the person who sold them the orthotics uh, is not. Um, is not uh, certified or doesn't know what the reason is, at least advise them to look for the solution. Don't just uh, sell them the crutch and le leave them on with it and and then keep keep selling the, the orthotics. I'm not against the orthotics myself either, but as you said, uh, if you're not able to squat, even if you don't have pain, if you're not able to squat into a deep squat, don't just like try to bypass it by... Uh, um, elevating your heels or turning your feet out try to find out why like that's that's at least my approach same with orthotics i guess it's uh i'm not against anything footwear orthotics it, if you if it helps use it uh there are there are so many people who have tools and they want to help everybody is just wanting to help um but it, it's for me it's about understanding why you need that help and for some, so say there's always, always going to be those who need uh, the orthotic permanently because maybe they have had some kind of trauma to the foot that can't be addressed. You know, it, it's we're we're talking. Um, but I've those are super. Those are super rare cases. Yeah, and small percentage yeah, out of everyone. Yeah. yeah. But there's, I don't want anybody to complain to your podcast that we, you can make sweeping generalization. And of course, all of these things came about because there was a need. So yes, there's a need and we can solve this problem with that tool. But we also need to be better thinkers, ask better questions, harder questions, questions that it's hard to find the answers for, but don't give up just because it's hard, just keep asking the question. So before I had the tech, uh, I would stand people on their orthotics and do the anatomy motion assessment, standing on the orthotics and off the orthotics. Mm -hmm. What was better, what was worse, in an effort to understand why they helped. Because if they helped, great. So we discovered that the person was missing uh, a seesaw of the pelvis and the orthotics enable and give it them back. Okay, can we enable the body to rediscover the seesaw of the pelvis without the assistance of something underneath the foot, which may be blocking something else uh, at the same time as encouraging something else, which is invariably the way. Yep, great. Um... We've been talking for a bit over an hour, so I have one last question because I try to keep those within those limits. Um, I have recommended your book to everyone who I've had discussion with about running. So I guess that's a great resource for everyone who wants to get better and improve on their craft and start to find out how they can be more efficient uh, while they run. And if even if they don't enjoy running, how to get, how, how maybe they can start enjoying running. Uh, but if you have like 
a couple of things. Let's limit it to three again. If you have three um, advices to people in which you can distill in a few sentences, uh, what would those be for both beginners and, and more advanced runners and athletes? Easy. Walk more. Notice more. That's the first two. Those are easy. Uh, and I would have, I would have actually. So there's a little running man on the cover. Uh, because walking is such a theme, uh, walkers could read the book and gain from it because it's it's the human gait, one foot in front of the other. It's just different gears. Uh, so all the drills could be used by walkers, not just runners, because runners are walkers. Uh, it's just two feet. Um, and so the third thing would be, so noticing more just generally, uh, but it's also being more quadruped. So I see people running with uh, very few people I see running. I saw one in the Olympics last night. I watched the... Um, the uh, Olympic triathlon uh, on playback. And uh, there was one runner, uh, English guy, Yi, uh, beautiful runner. He was running so beautifully with four limbs, four limbs. And of course, these are, these are elite, they're pro, they're all running with four limbs, but, but not necessarily as, as efficiently or as well as I feel that they probably could if they had a more awareness of what their arms are doing. So it's people think that running is all about their legs. And it isn't, it's about your everything. And we run the coordination on the sling systems is the four corners of the torso. So walk more, notice more about everything, notice everything. And remember, you have a rectangle here, four corners. They are the sling systems of gait. These are our innate efficiencies that make us the human efficient being that we can um, outrun uh, a horse and a, and a mammal. Because yes, we can sweat, but also we have these efficient um, sling, sling systems that cross a big uh, anterior oblique sling, um, shoulder to hip on one side, uh, and at the back, uh, shoulder to hip on the other, or shoulder to glute. Mm -hmm. And if you are, if you are not paying attention to what your arms are doing, you are not running efficiently. You have to be aware of what your hands are doing. I see people; they look like they're pushing themselves forward, but they don't know they are. I see people running, and they they got a thumb stuck up. And that's fine, but they don't know they are. Their brain has done that for a reason. What is their brain doing to say, okay, you have to run with your thumb sticking up? Is it because your, your big toe on that side can't extend? Is that doing the job of your big toe? Is that helping? So you've, this limb is now doing the job of that foot. So now you're running with three limbs instead of four. That is what I... If people just became more aware of their arms, not just their legs. Yeah, and this is um, great advice uh, again. But as you said, when you said easy, I thought, and you, you shared the three advices, it was like uh, 
things are easy, but uh, I mean, the things are easy, but they're also hard. Oh, easy for me to answer. Easy question. Yes. Sorry, my bad. It was easy yes. for me to answer the question. It was like, oh, no, that, that's easy one because, yes, it, people don't walk enough, they don't notice enough, and they don't use four limbs enough. Yeah. Uh, so I see on the ultra there were so many uh, runners without poles, and you think uh, they're known fondly as cheat sticks for a good reason. You extend the, the arm to the ground and you are quadruped. Mm. it's efficient. We've been doing it for millennia. Uh, humans have been using staffs and sticks and branches for millennia because it's more efficient. It's easier. It makes yeah. them more joy. I, it's funny because like when you mentioned the, using the four limbs, I remember when I was uh, walking on the, at the marathon, I was from time to time, I was checking my uh, uh, wrist deviations uh, and all those kind of like sort of things, which nor normally people wouldn't pay attention to. So, yeah. It's like I can relate. Good. Awesome. So it was a great talk. I hope we can do this again. And hopefully I can get some coaching from you so I can get better at my learning, my uh, improving my skill because I consider myself a beginner, but uh, I like to learn the skill efficiently from the very beginning. That's why I go to people who have more experience and to other coaches to learn from. Um, so that make it more enjoyable and 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 save myself the the trouble uh, and the hustle. Uh, so download their brains pretty much. So everyone who wants to learn more, I will share um, Helen's um, website and all her social media. So if you want to get the book uh, and if you want to connect, um, I'm ha I'm sure she'll be uh, she'll be responding um, shortly. Um, yeah. Any any final words? Thank you for having me. I'd be delighted to help you uh, with your running, continue to help you with your running after your marathon. I don't consider anybody who's run a marathon a beginner. Um, and nobody's a beginner runner either. It's just they're beginning uh, in their skill, maybe, of running. But uh, we, we, we just, it's another gear. It's just another gear, people. That's all it is. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. Uh, I have something in mind. Uh, 20k in my uh, trail marathon in uh, for November. So maybe we can work. We can nice. work for that. Nice. Okay. Sounds good. Awesome. Thank you for thank you for uh, coming on the podcast and uh, me. And hope to talk soon. Yes, please.